Hello and bienvenido San Antonio. Welcome to the Alamo Hour, discussing the people, places, and passion that make our city. My name is Justin Hill, a local attorney, a proud San Antonioan, and keeper of chickens and bees. On the Alamo Hour, you'll get to hear from the people that make San Antonio great and unique and the best kept secret in Texas. We're glad that you're here. All right, welcome to the Alamo Hour. Today's guest is Frank Ramirez. Frank was recently running for election in an HD 118, a special election to replace the uh, retired or resigned Leo Pacheco. Uh, in the special, it was a super close election. He did not win. There's a chance, I think, he probably already has an answer to it that he will be running in the future. Uh, but we're here really to talk to him about his uh, his his time in San Antonio, his love for the city, his work in politics here, get to know him a little bit better. So, Frank, thanks for being here. Hey, thank you, Justin. Um, yeah, so... You know, coming off of the trail is a uh, has been a very um, sobering time. It's been about a month now since the election, and uh, I've taken time to myself to recollect myself, rest, and uh, and really get a better understanding of the race that we ran and and how effective it was. Because you know, for all intents and purposes, it was. Even though we fell short, we did a lot of really great work that brought a lot of people out that normally would not have come out. So uh, we're excited about this. Uh, about you having me here today. Thank you so much. So rest and relaxation. Is that <laughs> you at like the Japanese tea garden doing <laughs> yoga, looking at the koi pond, or is that, you know, beers and tacos on the strip? Hey, that's me getting a mile in in the morning now. Okay. Right? All right. Uh, but also being able to balance that with those beer and tacos. All right. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, I, I told Frank before we started that I'm maybe the least amount of uh, research today for a guest, but I'd done plenty of research when you're running for office and got to know you a little bit. So uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about San Antonio, sure. talk a little bit about your time in politics, uh, your hopes for the city, what you think um, the future San Antonio looks like, because I think that's a real important discussion that's being had right now. You know, we are on the edge of this Austin explosion, and that's going to spill over, so we're going to talk about that. But I always start with sort of a top 10. It's probably never 10. might be 20. Sure. It might be 4. Um, what are your favorite hidden gems in the city? And you're a San Antonioan, so you might have some places that I've never been to or never heard of, so... Right. Dig deep, favorite hidden gems. So I am a lifelong Southsider, right? So the majority of my experience in this city has been in the Southside. I'm a product of the Harlandale Independent School District. So um, that's Gillette, Kingsborough, McCollum High School, Go Cowboys, and Go Cowboys in Dallas as well. Um, we, we are a very tight-knit community. But at the same time, we support business businesses in the south side and um we we like to to tout them right we like to tell people hey when you come to the south side you got to go to these spots yeah because they're the best sure right so uh i'll give you my my top five oh. restaurants and places okay. in the south side right so um if you're looking for some great mexican food you got don pedro's mexican restaurant right okay. there's an iconic been in the uh, in the neighborhood for over 50 years um then you got uh, the other one, which is one of my personal favorites south of 90, is Blue Moon Cafe off of Florida's, uh, Florida Street. So that's on Mitchell and Florida's. And they have the best chilaquiles tacos in the entire city, uh, hands down. Uh, the other one, taco-wise, uh, is going to be uh, Carnitas Lonjas, which has been featured on Forbes magazine and is a nationally acclaimed uh, restaurant. And actually, the, uh, the, the chef, Alec Walls, he was actually um, nominated for the James Beard Award. Yeah, very cool. Right. So he was, I think, the, one of the top two finalists in the state of Texas for that award. Um, and it just goes to show how amazing their food is. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, of and I'm going to stick to food because I eat a lot. Okay. I, that culinary, yeah, I like to eat. you know, whenever you're in San Antonio, what do you do? You yeah. got... Go to the Riverwalk, you go to the Alamo, and then you go to eat. Okay. Because you've got Tex-Mex, right? And so um, Chef Chris out at Rocker Dogs off of Roosevelt Avenue. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Yeah. So I, I guarantee you this is the best hot dog you've had in your life. Uh, they have this one where it's a uh, carne guisada chili with queso and salsa verde hot dog. Okay. And it is solid, brother. Um, and then of course, you know, I'm going to stay away from food. This last one is the entirety of the mission trail. So I'm a biker. I like okay. to bike. And, um, one of the largest infrastructural improvements for multimodal transportation, right? You're talking about not just being restricted to a single person in a single vehicle, right? You're talking about ways to get downtown from the South side that are unconventional to some, uh, I'm talking about the entire mission reach from, you know, outside of 410 South, even into the county past Mitchell Lake, you can get downtown through this, uh, through this trail and about 45 minute bike ride, you're downtown and you're in the center of the entire city. And so 
those are some of the coolest spots in, in the South side, um, you know, in terms of, of luxury, leisure and transportation, but also for activity. And if you want to get back from your bike ride, you ride back down and then you go to Don Pedro's or okay. to any of those other restaurants. So back. I've only been to two of those that okay. you just listed, the restaurants. I've been to Don Pedro's and I've been to Carnitas Lone House, which I hear got built out a little bit. Right, right. Yeah. So they it used have, to just be a counter. Right. So it used to be the counter to go. They have a patio now, and now uh, they have fish lonja. So it, uh, so it's like a um, a fish counterpart, and they do um, like cocktails, shrimp cocktails. They do fish tacos, quesadillas, the huh. the marisco, and everything. It's awesome. It's huh. awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll have to go check that out. Um, yeah, I wonder if the James Beard people knew what the restaurant looked like in the inside <laughs> when they nominated him. But I mean, it was just fantastic food, and I, I think that's an like. It, they did one thing really, really well, right. and that's it. That's and right. I mean, that's all you got to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you a B cycler? <sighs> no. Have you ever Have you ever rented one? No. Okay. Never. So my last guest, number one in the city, multiple years in a row in miles on a B cycle. Wow. Apparently they track it. Wow. So now I'm gonna start asking everybody because because <laughs> because uh, he's he's the legend. Uh, favorite fiesta event. Favorite fiesta event. Um, so. Niosa, definitely, right? I mean, that's just hands down. You get a couple of friends and you just got to Nessio at Niosa, I right? don't think you're going to say that in <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> it already hurts to say it this year. Yeah. I'll tell you that. The other, okay, so what night of Niosa, though? And I can't even, like, confidently say this anymore, right? But college night was always the most okay. fun. And I'll even say this, not even at night anymore. Just going during the daytime and leaving before it gets. I'm a Tuesday right. at five. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'll be there at five if I'm o'clock. going. I'll yeah. be there at five o'clock, hands down, every single year now, yeah. and uh, and I enjoy that atmosphere a little bit better. The other is uh, is Mission Fest. Uh, so that's at Mission San Jose. Never right? been. Awesome. That's an awesome spot. Um, Mission San Jose was actually my home church for a long time. Cool. And uh, and it's it's uh, it's some it's a lot more centering, right? Because it's in the historic um, missions. It's they actually have yeah. mass inside of the church that people had mass in three, 400 years ago. So right. I'm, I'm probably sound very non San Antonio and by saying this, but is San Jose, the big one with the wall around it. That's right. That has the big facade. You see every time I go there, somebody's getting married there. The but iconic it, it's one. beautiful. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And, and they're all iconic in their own rights, right? Some of them are more built out than others, but they're some all, are grand. Right. Some aren't. Some are. Yeah. And, and as, as is, uh, you know, a lot of things, you know, uh, you have your, your centerpiece and then you have the peripherals yeah. around it. But uh, like the Alamo is not grand compared to San Jose. No, the yeah. story is grand. Yeah. Uh, but Mission San Jose is much more beautiful. You have a lot more um, uh, vision around. Have you read the Alamo book, the Stanford one that's getting all the uh, controversy? I haven't. The one that the uh, real Alamo or the real. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, no, but I but I understand and I you know it's it's uh it's an interesting topic to delve it. into, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you know the history of the Alamo, who were who was the villains, who were the heroes? Yeah. How was history written in that regard? Yeah, so. I think there's a discussion of how slaves played a role at the Alamo right. that's never discussed. Right. Right. Um, Okay. Uh, so I try to do a new Fiesta event every year. Mission Fest will be a new one. Are there any Fiesta events you have not done that you want to do? Um, I forget what it's called, but it's a taste of... Well, there's Taste of New Orleans. Tra- taste of New Orleans okay. is the one that I was trying to get to. This you said Taste time. of Northside. Oh, yeah. I mean, is that is that really a Fiesta I, event? No, I'm it's really, so far. Like, if I'm going to have... <laughs> If there's anything culinary related, I'm sticking to the South side and our cuisine. Cause I oh, would downtown too. Downtown too. Yeah. yeah you start yeah, y'all learning. Yeah. Downtown. Well, <laughs> you know, I don't really go to the South side much for food. I really just, you know, you live in your bubbles at some That's point. Right. I finally went to Brook city base. Leo was a guest and mm-hmm. uh, he, he gave me and, uh, and Ryan Pape, who was looking to build a facility down there. A private tour. I was blown away. Right. But driving down there, I remember thinking this is far. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a trek to get down there. If you're not down there or need to go down there, you don't just venture That's down right. there. Yeah. It's like, you know, if I have if I have Brooks in the south side, am I really going to take the drive to La Cantera if we have all the same things? But right? you don't. But we don't. Yeah. And so we will. <laughs> For now. <laughs> I think so too. I mean, I think that's where that's all going. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, you just look at it in, in the, in the scope of real estate, right? Yeah. What's built out, what is not. You look at shirts, so below Universal City off of 35, it's already all built out. There's very little room for there to be any type of lateral growth or right. horizontal growth. It all has to be vertical at this point. In the South side, you go outside of 410 South, little land. It's just nothing but land. Yeah. And, and that's where a lot of these developmental trends are going to start going towards east or west of 90, east 90, outside of 1604. It's all trending back down south. Right. Because that's where the available real estate is at. I mean, what's been 
so one thing I found interesting was I was, I don't know if I was reading about it or I was at one of the county commissioners meetings and there was a big discussion about how some of those developments were just so poorly planned and they were just throwing up these developments that had, you know, 400 homes and one point of ingress and egress and it was right. just causing traffic and the roads were too small. So, you know, if, if you never hear that conversation, you never really understand the responsibility for developers to respons responsibly right. develop and do it right, right and make sure you take all those things into consideration. And the South Side is a good example, I think, of some people that have done it poorly. Right. Yeah. And and that's why, you know, it's it's important that that I got into this arena specifically because of that, right? Because we, we do see how bad development affects not only the people that are going to be moving there, but the people that live there. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a development that occurred a few years ago, a school, um, that was built basically on the, uh, on the buffer between a commercial road or an industrial road and a single family residential neighborhood that had been there historically. And now you have a, a feeder road and, and you have people picking up their kids on this feeder road, which is only two lanes on one going each way. Um, at two, three o'clock in the afternoon every day. Yeah, that's poor planning. Right. You have it from point A and literally a mile and a half road to point B. That's how long the line is to pick Jeez. up your kid. Right. So you you take into consideration, you know, design standards and things that people don't necessarily have to do because our state laws don't necessarily require them. Right. Uh, traffic impact analyses, right? How many peak hour travels are, are going through this development? That's where our local leaders should. Right. Yeah. And so the, the issue is that if it's already zoned or if it's already um, prepared for that type of development, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of hands that the city has in that rezoning or that development because outside of permitting, you, you can't do anything about something that's already given to you by right. Right. And so that's, that's, that's a part of, and that was a strong part of my campaign is how do we, um, how can we responsibly grow the next trend of development in the, in the city of San Antonio? And so I worked in development for the past four years of my professional career and doing that, you know, we, we understand the ins and outs of, okay, if we're going to have a single family development in a, in an enclave neighborhood, we have to make it to where it is seamless with the existing infrastructure. Right. On top of that, how are we being mindful of the infrastructure that's already around us in terms of other single family residential? We don't want it to be so encumbering that if you're trying to get home, it now takes an additional 20 minutes because of this new, you know, maybe not even 400, uh, 400 homes, but even 70 homes right. can make that impact because you consider that, all right, I'm a, I have a nuclear family with a wife and two kids and my kids are 20 years old each. They're go both in college. They both drive a single car. Instead of just having two cars per house, you're talking about four cars per house now. And instead of 70 homes, you're looking at 280 cars, vehicles getting to that one neighborhood. And that's and it, what creates And it traffic. doesn't take long for that to stunt the growth or development or, you know, new people purchasing into a, into a neighborhood. Because when I was looking around, I remember I looked at a neighborhood and my, and my realtor said, you know, you would not want to come here between 2.30 and 4 because it backs up all the way to 4.10 because of a school that was there. And I just right. remember thinking, okay, I'm not interested in that and moved on. Right. You know, you know, you take into consideration Culebra outside of 1604 West, right? Um, historically didn't have anybody living there. So traffic was never an issue. All right. You have one lane going this way, one lane going that way. That's never an issue because nobody's going that way. Right. Right. You're always coming back in, but you put a 200, uh, 200 unit development out there, single family residential, all of a sudden your traffic impact is exponentially increased right. and people are trying to get home. Now it takes you an hour and a half. Because nobody ever had to go home that yeah. way. <laughs> now they are. Yeah. And so being mindful of that, not just with, with single family residential, not just with development like that, but, you know, the expansion of Brook City Base, the expansion of those amenities in Texas A&M, San Antonio, Palo Alto. Um, you know, we're, we're hoping to, to start breaking ground and, and really building up a new university health system in the south side outside of six, uh, 410 South uh, near Zarzamora, you know. What are we doing to, to preempt these things? What are the identified issues right now that if we were to put this development in today, would we be able to, to sustain it? Right. You know, you know, I think you and I were talking about sort of that Westover Hills development and had a full hospital system before like right. the South side. Right. And no, there was literally nobody living out there mm -hmm. and they built this giant complex and still right. we didn't have a big one in the South side, which I think now they, they are building that one right there off the 35. And I think they've right. announced another big one that they're mm -hmm. going to build down that way. Um, you're born and raised in San Antonio. You're a roadrunner. 
Longhorn. Oh, you are a Longhorn. Okay, <laughs> I, I had UT in my head. In my head. So is that the only time you've you've lived away? Was your time in Austin? Correct. Four Correct. years, or did it take a little longer? Four. I was okay. there for up until from. 20, 2012 to 2016. Yeah, four okay. years. But I stayed there all as well for the um, the 85th legislative session when I was a legislative director and chief of staff. So I lived in, in Austin until 2017. So for was, Tomas. That's right. All right. You're resty. You're resty. Right. Correct. Um, any odd hobbies? You said you've picked up boxing. Anything else? <laughs> so I enjoy boxing. Uh, I enjoy weightlifting, biking. Um, I've been playing guitar for about 15 years okay. now, so I, I enjoy playing guitar, uh, classical, acoustic, electric, uh, just throw it at me. Flamenco? Flamenco is a little harder. But okay. I, well, you I've said been, throw it at you. I'm, yeah, just, I'm yeah. throwing so it all out there. My all grandpa, right. he actually is a very good guitar player, flamenco, a uh, guitar player. Um, but he, uh, they used to call him the Mexican Elvis when he was in, uh, yeah. in the army. So cool. he did a lot of, he did a lot of work like that. <laughs> and, um, and so other weird hobbies, I mean, you know, outside of a, 27 year old guy in the south side you know running for office running for office you know that uh, time is restricted whenever you're doing that so i i I have my my luxuries you know i like hanging out with my friends my family i have two nephews um who i love to death and and you know whenever i have an opportunity to see them it's always fun um but yeah i mean we we, i like watching football i like going to football games utsa uh you know they they made us all proud as a city this past year and And incarnate word and and trinity Trinity. that's right that's right and so you know it's interesting to see that that happening but you know a lifelong spurs fan uh i go to every single game as often as i can uh and i'm a huge cowboys fan well the guy you just met damon he played football at trinity he uh he is not all American. I used to say he was all American. He's like, I was not an all American. So now I describe him as a not all American uh, running back there. He was all conference though. Uh, but the city, you know, now is this just been this weird confluence of really good football teams at right. one time. Two of them are division one. I mean, you know, UTSA lost to North Texas last week, but the coach should have sat people. Right. I mean, really, if you're thinking about what does a good coach do, yeah, it's good to be undefeated, but it's more important to win your conference. Right. And I don't think he did sit people, but if, if he did, I wouldn't have faulted him for it because this is the big game this week. Um, let's talk a little bit about sort of your work, professional history, which has really all been political-based, best is my understanding from our discussions. You, you graduated college, but in college, did you work politics or did you just live a college life? So I'll take you even further back than that. Um, my, my grandfather owns a small roofing business, uh, Ramita's Roofing Company. So okay. I started doing that from time I was like 14, 15 years. It's old. hard work. Very hard work. Yeah. 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 I got a lot of sweat in. And so, uh, I was actually telling some friends earlier, you know, I remember times when I was helping, you know, my dad or my grandpa, um, you know, carry shingles up on the ladder, 80, 80 pounds of shingles. I was about to ask you, did you have a scissor lift or did you do it by ladder? Because by ladder, everything. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I, and I've seen it now where they have like conveyor belt trucks and mm-hmm. they, they put all their material up and, you know, going to the dump, dumping all of your your shingles and all your material that you you're throwing away that's that's a lot of hard work you had that weird shovel with teeth on it oh yeah, yeah. the teeth and then you had your, your your big old shovels and then you had your 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 skinny shovels uh for more detailed work um but i did that for a while i i helped my grandpa drive company trucks you know whenever we were out there and when i say small i literally like four or five full-time employees and then we contract subcontract out as well yeah. and so um but for a roofing company, that's not that small. I mean, because no. I guess if a hailstorm hits, you you grow up real quick, get hey. a bunch of. But to have full time employees means you're a real roofing company. We've had people, and my you know my dad and my grandpa can can tell you this as well. We've had employees that have been there for 15, 20 years. Yeah. And so the the cool thing about it is that you know watching that company grow, it's it's already almost I think forty years, fifty years old. Uh, watching it grow, and not in terms of size, but just the type of work, the yeah. evolution of the work uh, has been really interesting too. You know, uh, I just got off the phone with him before I walked in here, uh, my grandpa, and he said, um, yeah, I'm having trouble with this permitting process because I'm trying to do some work in a historic district. You know, that's not a yeah. problem that he's historically had because, you know, a lot of the work that he does is not in historic districts. Right. Um, but it's interesting that I'm able to tie in my work that I've done in politics right. into this work now because, um, and and I, let me get back to that. So in in chronological order. I did this uh, with my grandfather and then I was in college. I was a Senate messenger. So I did work with uh, the, the Senate uh, back back in 2013-14. Uh, 
And then 15, 16, I was a Senate finance intern uh, for the Senate finance committee. And so I did, I helped out with them for basically the entirety of my senior year. And then I was a JJ Pickle fellow. I did congressional research uh, with one of the leading uh, professors in Congress uh, at the University of Texas. And so we we went to DC, I was able to conduct my research and you know, I got grants off of it. It It was a really cool experience. Um, with all of that experience and, and, and my education, I was able to go, um, come back home, worked on a congressional race, uh, for the 23rd. That's, that was, uh, Will Hurd and Pete Gallego. Okay. So I worked with Pete and, uh, and, you know, we came close in a very tough year for, for Democrats. I was um, in college with Will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a really cool guy. Yeah. He's cool too. <laughs> and so I have a lot of friends that worked with Will. I have a lot of friends that worked with Will and I think that he, uh, you know, that entire congressional race and the evolution of the 23rd has just been very interesting to see, especially it's a weird district. Really? Yeah, it's really district. unpredictable. Uh, I think the most competitive in the United States. Mm-hmm. So it's flipped more times, I think than any other congressional seat. And so, um, after that, I worked in the legislature as a LD and as a chief of staff. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to, to really learn the ins and outs of the building, not just walking it now as a Senate right. messenger and, you know, doing, uh, basically intern duties. Now was the Senate messenger, the one that when you went to the house, they would razz occasionally. Right. So, so you're at the back mic and you're you're at the, you open the doors and you're reading it off. Like here are the bills that you're Uh trying to read it as fast as they can. They gavel you out. Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of jerks. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, you know, I knew the layout of the Capitol, which was very advantageous yeah. for a staffer, right? I already know this place inside and out. Cause it is there. a maze. I mean, if you've never, if you've never right. been there, like you, if they said, go see so-and-so in their office and this is the office number, you would never be able to find right. it on your own. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, and you know, that's even before the extension, right? Yep. I was there when the extension was there, but you have several different wings, you have several different floors and it can get really, really confusing mm-hmm. to navigate, but um, I mean, I did it and, you know, I was able to learn everything from where, you know, the clerks are, which, which clerks are where in their specific hall and, you know, what E4 versus S4 and, you know, all the, all the floors and the directions. Yeah. It's, it's a very confusing building. Um, but I worked there for the 85th and then I came back home after that and I started working with the, uh, the city council down here. Um, so I worked with councilwoman Sandoval for, um, the past four years, almost, uh, this upcoming December would have been my fourth year with her. And so I, I started off doing constituent services and zoning. Um, and then as I progressed in, in my job there, I became a constituent services director and then a zoning director. Mm. And so I was able to do land use. So it ties into to a lot of what I'm doing today, right? Especially with my, my grandpa's business, you know, working with the Office of Historic Preservation, Historic Districts, Conservation Districts, uh, navigating over 100 zoning cases throughout my tenure and from application to completion or, you know, from when we had to not yeah. pass it <laughs> yeah. um, and working very directly with those neighborhood associations that were a part of that, that area where yeah. rezoning was going to take place. And so land use is, is, uh, is my bread and butter. That's, that's really where um, a lot of my experience comes from uh, recently. And that's important for why in terms of the race that I ran, because a lot of people have concerns with, Oh, infrastructure in the South side. Well, yeah, you know, let's tie it in with new development uh, you have new sidewalks, driveway approaches, streets. What's an IMP, the Infrastructure Management Program? You know how do how do things get funded in the city of San Antonio? If people have that information in their head, it makes it a little bit more easy to digest why things have been done or have not been done. And in the South Side, a lot of things haven't. One thing that's been really surprising to me as I've tried to learn city government more and county government more is how little of a discretionary budget a city council person has. Like right. city council people really don't have a lot of say budgetarily and they have very little discretionary money. Right. You know, the County's got a ton of money, but because we have this manager form, really, right. It's kind of allocated by committee, right. As best I can tell. And, and specifically for the, for the city, right. If I'm looking to do a, a sidewalk project, right. Um, there, there's this thing called NAMP. Uh, it's a neighborhood access management program. Yeah. And, um, you know, you get around 230, 240,000 a year for that public information, right? Every, every council office gets it. Um, and, uh, you submit projects to, to public works and they're able to tell you, Hey, with your nap money, these types of projects are eligible. So if there's like a really messed up street somewhere in, in your district, you know, 
if your nap money has not already already been allocated, you can use that nap money to to fill in that gap, right? That's but that's just two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? And I so, mean that that's like ten feet of sidewalk, right? That's right. So yeah. you you look at the cost of of a sidewalk versus the cost of a curb, right? Sidewalks are less expensive than curbs, and whenever you're talking about a full package, you want both of them, yeah. right? Not only to to be able to walk. Uh, on your street, uh, but also for flood or stormwater to be conveyed in a, yeah. in a reasonable fashion. And to protect you from a car. Right. Yeah. And so, and then there's the matter of, okay, well, do you want this sidewalk to be divorced or married to the street, right? And mm-hmm. then ideally, everybody wants divorced sidewalks yeah. because if you're walking down Military Drive on the south side. Or you heard it. Frank, pro-divorce. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Where you're walking on Military Drive, right? And it's a it's a married sidewalk to the curb. You're now what you're creating a situation of is cars going 45 miles an hour, right literally next to you. two yeah. feet next to you. And so, you know, in terms of comfortability and safety, divorced is definitely the way to go, but yeah. it's more expensive. And so with $200,000, there's not really a realistic discretionary fund for real big impactful projects. To seems like you got to be part of a bond at this point to really have any major consequence citywide. Right, right. And so a, lo- a lot of those projects are being considered and and right now uh, deliberated um, during the, the bond cycle. So yeah. we have a bond election this upcoming May for the city, right, which should be around a billion dollars. The important thing about that is you know, we now have the the part uh, or part of the equation now is affordable housing. And then on top of that, projects are becoming more expensive because, you know, you have supply chain issues yeah. going on around the world. You have uh, the cost of materials going up around the world. You look at lumber that's going up. You look at, at steel, concrete, concrete, everything is going up. And so the estimates that you got, you know, last year have gone up 15, 20%. Now. Yeah. And so that really does mess with the effectiveness or how far that dollar in that bond will go for your projects. And so I, I think that a lot of projects are going to either be uh, limited in scope from what when they were originally introduced or just drawn out completely from the bond, right? And that's that's a disadvantage that, that we're going to have to work through as a city to, to get done. Um, but there are a lot of important projects still, right? So you look at... Well, like drainage projects. I mean, we got... I think it was a few years ago, we had a $1 billion penalty by the EPA that was probated if we fixed this drainage sewage problem. So that has to be fixed. Right. And, and so the relationship between the federal state and local governments is, is a unique one whenever it concerns drainage, right? So the county has a little bit more leverage as to how much they can spend on those drainage projects because there's a lot more room for them to, to say, hey, if I'm in, you know, precinct one, you know, there's a lot of land and um, I can utilize this money wherever within precinct one, but at a council level, you're split into 10 throughout the county, right? Or not even the county, the city proper. Yeah. And so you're a little bit more limited in scope as to where those, that those dollars can go. But there are a lot of drainage issues in the city of San Antonio, you know, in district seven specifically, you know, there's a lot of, of homes that are in the floodplain. Um, and then you have to really start having the conversation. Is it floodplain or is it just street drainage? Yeah. Right. So are we, are we assessing and trying to correct potential property damages on individual homes and commercial properties, or are we looking at it uh, uh, from an infrastructural perspective and transportation perspective? Okay. You know, Bandera road gets flooded, all right, but it, it's flooded. Nobody's, it's not creating any type of real property damage. Right. Whereas you have homes uh, next to a Creek that if it rains, you know, if it's a hundred year ru- uh, rain event, flood event, uh, you're already looking at all of those homes being destroyed, basically. Yeah. So do we concentrate our efforts in a multi-million dollar project here, you know, tens of millions of dollars here, or do we do this street project and it, it protects people on the road and people's front yards? Right. So, and with the limited amount of money that the city has, you know, to the effect of maybe 15, 20 million dollars per bond, um, that becomes a harder conversation to have. Yeah, so I, I had... Uh Scully on here. And it was interesting. We were talking about drainage, if I recall. And one of the things she said was, you know, if you've got a big drainage project in district seven, mm-hmm. you know, for example, well, that also benefits other districts, but all the money goes into district seven, but then you kind of have to, you know, you've got to spread that money to mm-hmm. other budgets because they're benefiting from it, even though the project isn't in there. So she had a title for it, the way she went in and how they kind of allocate money that maybe goes to one district, but benefits multiple districts. And I mean, at that point, it's just got to be kind of a 
a right. cluster. Right, right. I mean, con- consider it this way, right? You, you look at, at Hemisphere Park downtown, right? It's in District 1. Um, but it's a city park. Go fight in District 1. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a city park, right? The same thing with like Woodlawn Lake. Yeah. Or, or Hardburger Park or McAllister Park. Those are, you know, parks in those individual districts, but they're not just utilized by people in those districts. Yeah. They're utilized by everybody. So there's a pretty strong argument to say, okay, well, instead of this one district footing the entire bill for this project, hey, I know a lot of your residents over there come to our park and utilize yeah. it. So, hey, let's work together to fund this right. the best that we can to make it good for everybody. And so... And I've heard there are some city councilmen in the past or councilwomen in the past who play along and and play nice in the sandbox and some who do not on issues <laughs> like that. And I've just, you know, I've talked to enough that are like, yeah, you know, that one will never pitch in on other projects. Sure. And then this one always helps with other projects, sure. you know? I mean, it's just because it's kind of, you know, it's my cheese and I'm going to use it where I want to use it. And and I think part of that's a product of small budgets. Right. There's not a lot of money to go around. Right. There's not, there's not. And, um, you know, we're, it's a city that's growing. Uh, we're anticipated to have our population grow double its size by the year 2040. Whoa. Yeah. And, and it's, um, and it's, it's only getting more expensive to do these things. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, um, it's imperative that we really concentrate our efforts to doing these things now. Again, back to the development standards, we have to preempt our expected growth with responsible growth. Right. And by being responsible and preempting those projects before they become problems, we'll save a lot of money in the future by doing that. So we could talk about water drainage projects for hours, it, it appears, yes. and maybe that's not the most fun thing, but <laughs> tell me sort of what what is your everybody has a different reason for getting into public service. I'm sure you've practiced your stump speech on this before, <laughs> but in an honest setting, uh, uh, you know, assume you've had, you know, three, uh, three, three margaritas here. Generally, what, what has sort of been your reason and, and your passion for getting involved in public service? So I, I can, I can really pinpoint it to a single instance in history. Um, I was a freshman at McCullum high school and uh, this was in 2008 and people in the class above me were asking students to help out with the uh, with poll greeting or poll watching for mm-hmm. the uh, for the bond. And I said, "Man, that would be a really cool way to to get out of class for a day." <laughs> and so, and this uh, would have been Scully's first big bond, right? Right. Yeah. Well, this was a Harlandale bond. Okay. So okay. It was, a, it was right. a Harlandale Independent School District bond, so it was a it was a school district bond, not a city bond. Um, but it, it aligned. It was still, it was still. Cause that's that about when her first one and it kind of changed the way the city saw. So I think, bonds. Her, I think hers, the passage of that one was earlier that year in 2008, because this 2008 bond was during the presidential. Year. Okay. So, um, right. If I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, but anyway, I was there in, in front of my old middle school at Kingsborough, and I just remember talking to people about the bond. They're like, hey, you're just a kid. Like, what do you know? I was like, well, and I had my talking points. You yeah. Know? I was speaking through them, and they're like, that makes sense. Well, we'll vote for it. And so I found that exhilarating, right? One, exhilarating, but two, doing a good thing for, for my school and, yeah. and, and actually seeing, you know, face-to-face how the political process was able to benefit people who typically didn't have a voice. Right. Right. So that, that really got a, uh, did it pass? It did. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. And, uh, and so, that cause was, if it didn't pass, you might've never been sitting here, right. Given right. up, you know, going to go do something else. And, and so I remember my, one of my friends, he was kind of walking us through, he said, all right, we're doing this, but also at the same time, like, you know, Barack Obama's running for president and this and that. And it's like, he's a, he's a democratic nominee. I was like, what's a Democrat? a Republican, like what are one of these things? And I started learning from that and I was like, oh, well, I can't vote, but this is all very interesting yeah. to me. I can still help make calls, talk to people, block walk like I had done. So I did. And and from that point I, I started getting more involved in campaigns as time progressed and started block walking, paid opportunities as a senior in high school. Um, and that's really where it started. And it wasn't really until college that I started refining what that meant and how it could apply to the real world more often. Right. Um, it wasn't just like a one-off situation. Oh, this is a campaign I can get behind or right. this is something that I believe in, uh, which is still very true. Right. I, I do these things cause I believe in them, but how can I be of service, not only in, in, in the effect of, of politics, but in the effect of good governance. And so um, working 
with the Senate messengers and being able to see, you know, bills during the 83rd or the 84th, you know, pass and bills fail, good, bad bills. Yeah. Um, that really did open my eyes up even more. What so. was the split then in the House? It wasn't that 76, 72 year, was it? No, no, it wasn't. Strauss was speaker, though? Strauss was speaker. Um, this was his fourth term. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was his fourth term as speaker. So whenever I was there during the 85th, that was his fifth term, his last term. Okay. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that that's really what really it started it all from there. And once I started understanding the magnitude of the work that was able to be done in this in this, uh, in this this space, um and who was left out of it, right? Like people like me who without a one-off shot sometime years ago would never have been interested in this process. Right. You know, that that's really how it fell. That's how my cards fell. But um, I, I, I recognize that it wasn't the same for everybody else. You know, people uh, were just out of tune with it because it was by design. You know, I talked to people on the trail when I was running a couple months ago. <laughs> Literally, that said, I've lived here for 50 years. And you're the first person who's ever stopped by my house yeah. to talk about politics, to ask for my vote. And, and that's, that's the disconnect that, that exists. But I would say that as a first generation college student, you know, uh, college grad at that time, it was much more impactful for me to get involved in this way. Uh, and that's what led to this, to this last run. And a lot of people, you know, once they get into the, the, the campaign side, they like that. They stick in the campaign side. Some right. people like the legislative side. Right. Uh, it sounds like you like the policy side of things. Um, you know, a, a never-ending debate since I've lived here is what's next for San Antonio. You know, we're manana city a little bit. Like, right. it's always, we're going to be the next. We're always a little bit behind. You know, I joke that marketing that works in Austin, well, it'll work here in 10 years. Yeah. But, it, you know, it doesn't work now because it's just a different city. To you, you know, somebody running for office has aspirations for their city or for their district right. or for their constituency. What does San Antonio look like to you in the best case scenario um, in terms of how we move the for the city forward and specifically what are the challenges that San Antonio is going to face that we don't already know? I mean, we don't have the Austin problem of, you know, a thousand dollars a square foot, but we do right. have housing problems. But right. what are some of the problems you think are very unique to our city? I think that we're at a at a crossroads right now compared to, to Austin, right? Um, you know, Austin was a little bit more accelerated in its in its growth. Um, you know, it's still a smaller city than San Antonio, but in terms of its of its square footage, it's it's much smaller. Yeah. San Antonio sprawls a little bit more, um, which is to our advantage right now. But uh, again, kind of pointing back to in twenty years, you know, we're gonna probably see our population grow to twice the size of where it's at now. And, and a lot of those questions as to what San Antonio looks like tomorrow are important questions that need to be answered today. You know, do we have available options for affordable housing for those people that are going to be, you know, eventually pushed out of their homes or out or taxed out of their homes? Right. We're seeing that today. Um, because what's the alternative if we don't? Homelessness? That's that's not an option. And and for those that, that it's a reality, you know, we're working actively to try and... and and find out the solutions to that problem. Yeah, And so, um, you know, in terms of where I see San Antonio going, it is the biggest little city anywhere, right? You can go to the north side, you, you know somebody who knows somebody yeah. close to you, right? Um, and so I think that's always been what has kept San Antonio grounded is that it's a city of the future, but it still has its ties to the, to the history that yeah. made it, it San Antonio. And so, you know, we're getting a lot of great business. We're, you know, we have JBSA, you know, we have a lot of um, technology companies eyeing San Antonio yep. for, for these things. We have Toyota manufacturing is present here in the city. Navistar just built Navistar that facility. Just, yeah, UTSA right. is putting cybersecurity downtown. I mean, you have, you have these really exciting things going on. Exactly. Yeah. And so all of these things are being done in preparation for that larger boom that we're going to experience here soon. Um, but it's again, those peripherals that we need to, to start supplementing those good things with more infrastructure, better infrastructure and more responsible growth. And so those are the things that, that my run were surrounding, um, when I was doing it is okay, well, you've been here for 50 years. When was the last time your road has been done? Yeah. Never. My road uh, on my street's never been done. And so how can we expect to, to, grow at a better or a faster pace if we can't take care of what's already here. And if we do grow more, are we going to be able to, you know, consciously take care of the rest of that too? Right. And so 
preemptive infrastructure for, you know, bigger transportation alternatives, right? So east-west transportation in the city of San Antonio and then northwest transportation outside of the highway system. How yeah. do we get that done? I've heard stories of people who live in Leon Valley or who live in Chavanaugh Park that go to Texas A&M San Antonio, but they don't have a vehicle, so they have to take the bus. It takes four hours every single day, round trip, four hours, four-hour round trip to get to school and back. Mm. So... How is that? How is that? You feasible? probably walk there, right? Yeah. How is that feasible in a city of our size, at the city of our of our capability, that a student who wants to to further their education uh, at an institute in the south? But sprawl side, is part of that problem. Sprawl is probably yeah. part of that problem. But you know that single person, single vehicle travel is too. That's why traffic exists. Yeah, because everybody's driving by themselves. You know, I think all of us can say that we're. Uh, we do it, right? You think public transportation is kind of, I mean, real robust public transportation is kind of a pipe dream in Texas. It's been discussed for always. Right. And right. you got Dallas who has a dart, uh, Houston that's got a dart. They're both both very limited in sort of distance and direction. Um, Austin's got nothing. Uh, we've got a bus system that I don't know enough about to know whether it's good or not, but it's just kind of been one of these things. Everybody always talks about it, especially young progressives always talk about it and there just never is any movement on it. Right. And, and in terms of feasibility of those types of things, right. We can, we can call out the problems, but what are the solutions? Yeah. Right. Do you throw money at it? I think that more money in, in these public transportation um, initiatives and, and solutions is definitely helpful, but it's more of a cultural issue. Because what do people love to do whenever they're in San Antonio? They love to, you know, drive to La Cantera. They like to drive. They like to have the physical option and the, the option to get behind their own vehicle and yeah. go wherever they want. Um, the, the freedom of travel without any limitation. Um, and that's really what a lot of our transportation system in the state of Texas has been surrounded on, you know. Because it's so big, one right. Because yeah. if I if I have to go to Abilene, you know, I'm driving for several hours. Or if I have and to go, why? To, why would you go to Abilene? Yeah, you know, yeah. just started with an A. Yeah, okay. But if you're going to to the to <laughs> Alpine, South, if you're going to South Padre <laughs> Island, okay, right, right? That's a right. four and a half yeah. hour drive, right? And so, what's the realistic, um, or rather, I guess the question to ask here is, what are some of the restrictions in getting that done? You know, if we're looking at a at, at a train system, right, a transit system between cities in the state of Texas, it's a lot of eminent domain. You have to take up a lot of historic, you know, ranch. Which we land, could if right? we wanted to. Right, absolutely. Yeah. But nobody wants to be the bad guy who does yeah. that. And then, and then we've talked it. about doing it on existing tracks, which has been an option, especially in Austin. There were discussion about right. doing that. That fell through. I mean, it just seems like every time there is an actual avenue that's feasible, it just there's never the political will. Right. I mean, I mean, I think it goes without saying there were some big moneyed interests here in San Antonio that murdered that Broadway corridor tra uh, public right. transportation plan. And some of those people are considered godfathers of our city who have done such good, but it would have hurt their pocketbook. So, you know, you have young progressives who want it. You have people without means who need it. And then you ha have, in a, you know, occasionally had moneyed interests who were just like, this is bad for me. So right. we have the political will to kill it. And, and so it's, it's all about changing that political system, right? Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, that's what it's going to take because, you know, we've seen plans. I've seen plans uh, several years ago about what a potential transit system in the state of Texas would look like. It's not the the one that everybody wants, but it's one that's realistic, connecting Dallas to Houston. Houston it should start Austin. there. Right. Dallas, Houston. And right. I think once it's there, people will realize how incredibly convenient and easy this is, right. and then it's easier to move it, but well, you got to start somewhere. Right. And, and I always draw it back to, to how it can relate to us in, yeah. the, in the city of San Antonio. If I'm a South side kid, you know, and I'm restricted to travel because, you know, I come from a family, um, you know, that, that has multi-generational poverty uh, basically installed into that family, yeah. you know, what are my options outside of getting a college degree, which I may not be able to afford and joining the military, right? Which a lot of people do. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, that's a very real way to get out of the, the cycle of poverty yeah. here. Um, you know, what if they want to do something else? What would the option be if you have Brook city base as a, as a system that, that connects to the rest of the, of the state of Texas, specifically Austin. If I'm a student at incarnate word, or if I'm a student at Texas A&M San Antonio, and I know that I can hop on a train from Brook City Base on the south side to Austin and get there in 30, 45 minutes. While I'm on the way there, I can be doing work. I can Or legitimately, work. Sunset Station has a train that goes to Austin. It just takes two hours and 45 minutes. Right. I mean, that 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 those are those things that have just never made sense to me. Like, I would love the ability to take an Uber, go up to Austin. Right. And really, 
it's this great opportunity for everybody in the I-35 corridor to take advantage of what Austin can't do, which is affordable housing. Right. And if you had a go to New York, you know, you can live 50 miles outside the city and get into the city in an hour and a half. That is available for Texas, for central Texas. Right. And nobody will ever have the political will to do it. I mean, we replaced a lot of those those dreams with toll roads, right? So, yeah. <laughs> and I won't start on that, but. Um, I mean, I, I do like a toll road. It is just not the replacement to that. No, yeah. it's not. And I can agree with that, right? It takes a, it turns a four-hour trip from Dallas into a three-hour trip because yeah. of the traffic, but that can also be a two-hour trip from Dallas to San Antonio if it were high-speed transit. Yeah. And so that's the issue that we're seeing. And, of course, as a, as a progressive in, in transportation specifically, that's what I would like to see. But political willpower is not there. You know, the interest is not there quite yet. I think that we will work towards that in the near future. And I, I think it would be an exciting uh, challenge to undertake. Uh, you know, I think Burke City Base, you brought it up a few times. I, I talked about it earlier. It's a, it's a great example of um, developing an area with an eye towards the future, mm -hmm. but also with kind of a clean slate. So if you go there and see what they're doing, it's incredible, and they're doing a great right. job, and they're getting huge investments, and they've got great infrastructure. But they started with a clean slate, which is easier to do than taking over sort of old, you know, neglected areas. Um Personally, I think one of the best things that's happened in this city since I've lived here is is Mayor Castro's focus on downtown and mm -hmm. how downtown is now changing from abandoned buildings to that you're getting this development. You're getting right. you know people that are living down there. You're getting companies that are moving down there. I hope that continues. Um, do you think urbanization, you know, moving back to the city core is a good thing for San Antonio long term, or do you think we really need to be focusing sort of on the periphery? Now we're having like a real d discussion on urban planning, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's, it's hey, interesting no, to this me. Is, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's it's compelling, right? Because there's arguments for both sides, yeah. right? I mean, you, you invest in the area in which the public sees every day, right? You invest in the area that the world sees. Yeah. And if you do that, then your city becomes more, more uh, it bears more fruit at the end of the day, right? Uh, you get more people in an already highly toured city having more fun, having more options, and that attracts more economic development. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just as important uh, in the peripherals too, right? Um, we have 13 regional centers in the city of San Antonio, right? Wow. So 13 regional centers, meaning those are areas that people can live, work, and play. Um, a lot of them are repurposed areas that just kind of fell off the map. So you have the Pearl, right? It used to be that big brewing company. And now you have... Wait, that's not one of the 13 though, is it? That is. It's one of the 13 regional centers. That's right. What else would be a regional center? Brook City Base, Texas okay. A&M San Antonio, Midtown. You have UTSA. What's Midtown? Midtown is just the area north of uh, downtown. So it's like its own regional center. So like, like the, the quarry? Broad, the, the Broadway Okay, area, okay. Right. And so you have these regional centers, um, some which have already been adopted into ordinance in the city of San Antonio, some that are still being worked on through the, the city's planning department. Um but Brook City Base, you know, we always, we're, we're pointing back to this. It's on the south side. And Texas A&M San Antonio, which is in the District 118. Um, both of those are, like you said, clean slates. You know, Brooks had already the infrastructure there because it was an old Air Force mm -hmm. base, right? It was an old base. And um, you have hangars there. You have a lot of military housing. which Roads. Was roads that were installed through the federal government um, and the military base. Uh being repurposed for the uh, for the use of the general public right. in a way that that promotes more economic development throughout the entirety of that side of town. And so and that's the I think that's something people don't realize like right. all of the development that will happen because Brooks exists and exactly. all the development that happens because downtown's getting better. Exactly. It it serves periphery. So I would imagine or I would I would challenge or task you to to imagine that all of these regional centers serve as their own downtowns, right? And the peripherals of those re excuse me, those regional centers are going to see that economic development boom because they're simply there. And not only just because they're simply there, but because in those plans, you already have the future land use categories associated with it. Right? Sure. So, hey, it, by our design and, you know, with us being mindful of what can occur in the future, you know, here's the proper area, but in the peripheral, here's what will be... Um, Here's what would be best suited. A for framework these. has been Correct. created. Yeah. Correct. And if there's a, if there's an opportunity to change that framework, it would be done during the development process in which you would file for a plan amendment and you would say, hey, instead of this being, you know, 
uh, low urban uh, density, right? So that's like single family residential with small neighborhood commercial businesses. Yeah. I want to change this part only, this little area, which has been di- identified as low urban density, uh, to regional center. So that way I can do a mixed-use development. So that way instead of at the corner of, you know, these two roads, it's just houses. It's now a focal point of that the entry to that neighborhood. Okay. And so you start getting into yeah. those more um, in-depth urban design standards. But each of those regional centers, uh, including downtown, right, has those that framework drawn up and, uh, and approved by the city council and the, the planning department. And that's really important because, yeah. you know, in terms of responsible growth, we're going to be having Texas A&M San Antonio, you know, we know there's going to be a bunch of housing associated there. There ain't students. nothing around there right now, though. Right. And Why? So, so there will be. I mean, the, the university is what, like, Less than 15 years old. I know, but why hasn't a developer gone and put in apartments and duplexes for all the student housing and all that stuff? It's just right. empty fields right now. I mean, it is. And I, I think that... Is that somebody squatting on it? <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. I, I just I, I assume there's a developer yeah. squatting on it for some reason. Potentially. Yeah. I know that there's been a lot of... Because um, wheat ain't worth as much yeah. as apartments, is my guess. And and specifically in a high interest area. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's fine. Those... It's sort of weird. It just kind of sits in a field. Last time I was out there was probably a right. year ago, but... Well, which I'm glad it, it did, right? Because yeah. then you'd be putting the cart before the horse, you know, because this regional center was adopted, I think, two years ago, right? And sure, more could have been done in between that time. We should uh, open a Chick-fil-A over there. You definitely should. <laughs> but rather, I think that an HEB outside of Fort oh, yeah. South would be really helpful for a lot of people living yeah. in the county. And it's something that needs which to happen. You, you know, that's why urban planners get, you know, educations for this, because you have to have like those anchor things like a right. grocery store to then get the neighborhoods and all right. that stuff. right. Interesting. And so you have Toyota right there down the road, yeah. right? And there's not an HEB near there. But people are living closer and closer to Toyota outside of the city limits almost uh, to have that convenience of going to work. Yeah. But the inconvenience of having to travel inwards towards the urban core to really get to a lot of those amenities. We've got an extra HEB right up here. We'll take it. <laughs> we'll take that. Um, and that's why the hospital in the South side as well is going to be yeah. a huge impacting. Uh, it's going to be a motivating factor for a lot of people. It's like, okay, well now if I'm a healthcare healthcare worker, I want to move to the South side for this new state of the art development, this new state of the art complex. And yeah. so um, not only is it creating a, uh, an opportunity for people to get out of a vicious cycle, but it's giving people an opportunity to get into an opportunistic cycle yeah so that's that's really what we're seeing happen i mean the, the urban planning side of these things is really fascinating especially in an old city like this where you have generational poverty mm-hmm. you know you have generational uh, i don't even lack of education i mean you have people that just kind of drop out of school at young ages because right. that's that's the generations they've been through and urban planning can address some of those things outside of the family context which i, I roomed with an urban planner at one point and i was I thought it was kind of gobbledygook. And the more I really started listening to him, it's really fascinating how right. you design a city to change people's futures. And Well, I mean, and, and again, it all comes back down to that political willpower. Yeah. Because without, you know, Senator Madla really pushing for Texas A&M San Antonio on the South Side, we wouldn't have this institution that's basically a focal point of the South Side now. Is that the seat your SD took over? Yeah, that is. Okay. Senate District 19. Okay. And, and so that on top of the work that's being done in the Alamo Colleges, you know, Palo Alto is another focal point. Um, a lot of these things just would not be possible. Yeah, the Alamo College is doing fascinating stuff. Amazing I mean, just stuff. really great stuff. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so you put that all together with uh, all of the work that's being done at a city and state level for, you know, inc- increasing the amount of people that are able to travel on roads and then uh, creating those amenities for people to want to move to the South Side. You know, the South Siders that live here in the South Side uh, that have lived here for generations have stuck around because they know what the South Side is for. Yeah. Um, it's just everybody else is catching up to that. Now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it still is just kind of an island. It's right. not like south of downtown. No. It's a little ways past uh, downtown. Um, we're almost out of town. I'm going to try to keep these around an hour, but it's sure. Giving Tuesday. Any any nonprofits or charities you're particularly involved with? So my my favorite nonprofit, and this has to do with my advocacy with um, uh, for, the, for women um, and, and men who are, victims of domestic violence. Uh, you know, I have a lot of friends and family who have gone through things like that. And, um, it, it's something that needs to have a more elevated top. It needs to be a more elevated topic and a more, um, I guess more accessible conversation for people because uh, a lot of the issues that we see around the state in this country is, you know, women specifically are, are uh, disproportionately affected by domestic violence. Yeah. And, 
you know, one out of every four women that that we see, that we know are victims of domestic violence, whether it's public or not, um, or sexual assault survivors. And so one of the, uh, one of the organizations that I've, uh, that I've been working with and, and I'm very good friends with their executive director, Patricia Castillo, is the Peace Initiative here in mm. San Antonio, P-E-A-C-E. It's, uh, it's dotted out like that. I've um, seen that. What's it, do you know what it stands for? Uh, I don't know. I don't have the entirety of it uh, in my mind right now, but I know that the work that they do is, is amazing. Um, and, you know, they're, they're always connecting people to resources. They're always making sure that the people that they're taking care of are, are taken care of. And, and that's, that's a part of the battle is, you know, uh, whenever you're, you're talking to somebody who's a victim, uh, it's never their fault. Yeah. You know, but I think that society and our culture has kind of made it to where, it, it, it's more acceptable to say, well, it's your responsibility. And our judges are doing a lot with this right now. They've developed some new programs and I had uh, judge Alvarez on talking right. about it recently. And uh, yeah, uh, judge De Leon and judge um, uh, Diaz are doing mm-hmm. great work in yep. their courts regarding this. And, and they're, they're elevating those conversations at the County level, right? I mean, you have the collaborative effort that that's being done in order for us to, to really tack into why this is happening at the rate that it's happening. It's very alarming in the city of San Antonio. Yeah. We're having, it's know, been ignored for a long time. It has because that's a part of, you know, the, I hate to say it. It's a part of the machismo culture, right? Yep. So like Latino families, Mexican families, it's, it's just an understanding. And it's just, a, it's a closed, you know, some of these neighborhoods are closed, that's you know, right. they don't go to the police and they don't go that's to right. authorities. Um, you've worked in the legislature uh, in one way or another. You've been around, lawmakers, anybody you idolize in terms of if you were ever lucky enough to hold elected office, that's the type of person I would like to emulate. So one of my favorite legislators is Frank the Hella. Um, and so he was actually 27 years old when he ran. Long former. Long former. Okay. Long former, right. And so he was 27 years old whenever he ran, he won his, uh, his space in the, uh, in the Texas legislature. And from the stories that I've heard, and I never had the pleasure of meeting him, but from the stories that I've heard is that, you know, uh, and from people who knew him personally, uh, he was the type of person that would be accessible. And and that's the brand of politics that, that I, that I want to create again. I've and heard he would also throw a punch. He would. That he was a, a brawler. Yeah. yeah. And so For the know, South side, though. That's right. Yeah. And so that's, that's the same type of thing that I'm trying to, to accomplish here, right? Southsiders, you know, again, I've talked to those people. Oh, I've lived here for 30 years and nobody's ever come to my door to ask for my vote. You know, hearing those stories and then telling them, hey, if you need anything, you give me a call. And those same people call and they say, hey, I'm looking for, is this the office or is this uh, a staffer for Frank? No, this is him. Yeah. This is my personal cell phone you're calling. How can I help you? And that changes the the tone of how people understand politics. This is why your phone has just been blowing up the entire time you've been here. Right. Yeah. So people still text me and call me and they say, Hey, is this Frank? Can I, do you have a second? I have this issue. I have a problem or, you know, I have a question. And that's really what people, that's what they want is to know that they have access to their representative because that's their job. And so that's, that's, that's what's been important to me. And so that legislative style, whenever somebody calls me and they say, Hey, I have a problem with the VA or, Hey, I have a problem with getting uh, my social security or my, my healthcare taken care of through the state. You know, I want to be that type of legislator that Frank was. You know, I called Lloyd Doggett's office one time on one weird issue I had with uh, BAMC. And I mean, within a day, like the head of BAMC calls me and she's like, why did you call the congressman? I'd been trying to get in touch with them for 19 months and they just wouldn't respond. They had turned our clients over to collections and it just got taken care of. And I mean, Doggett's been doing a long time and if he had ignored me, uh, I would have got it, but. I mean, that's a style of politics that there needs to be more of. Right. And if you've got it, you've just kind of got that belief in that's constituent right. services. That's right. Uh, last question. Sure. Uh, have you been to any UTSA? So double part, two, two party question. Have you been to any UTSA games this year? Yes. Okay. Uh, what is your prediction for Friday night's score? Ooh. Because I'm going to hold you to this. Because I, I assume at halftime, I might see how strong you feel about this and maybe wager, uh, you know, a hot dog or something. A Frank's dog, or what's a Frank. the do- just a Frank? What's the dog place in Rocker Dogs? Rocker Dog, a Rocker Dog. Okay. Um, all right, I'm gonna call it now. It's gonna be UTSA 24, and I think that our opponent's gonna have 14. 
I think we're going to put up 45. 45? I mean, it's just, you know, hey, I'm pulling this out of thin air. I love it. I uh, love it. Frank, thank you for being here. What's your website if people want to learn more about you and learn about your race? Right. So I'm Frank Ramirez, and I am as of, um, oh, when, when did it open? November 16th? Well, rather, I'm Frank Ramirez, and I am running for House District 118 as a Democrat. I was a Democratic nominee during the special election this past year. Um, and you can learn more about me at my website, www.frankfortexas.com. And that's the, the word for, not the number. Um, and if you want to give me a text or give me a holler, 210-885-0374 is my cell. Shoot me a text. I'd love to get some coffee or a beer with you. Well, that's the first doxing of themselves I've had on this, uh, <laughs> on this podcast. But thank you so much for being here, Frank. I appreciate it. Good luck. We wish you the best. We'll follow the, the race, and, and we hope it turns out best for you. Thanks, Justin. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Alamo Hour. You are all what make this city so great. We hope you join us next week. In the meantime, subscribe to our podcast. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash alamohour or our website, alamohour.com. Until next time, viva San Antonio.